Hello, Jonathan. Man, your voice is silky smooth, man. I love it. This episode is sponsored by Hire.com. Hire.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and pre-fund your paycheck. They offer legal and accounting and tax support. And they'll give you $2,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $4,000 instead. Go sign up at Hire.com slash Freelancer Show. This episode is sponsored by Nerd.us. Do you wish that somebody else would handle all of those operation details when it comes to hosting your client's web applications? Nerd.us is a Ruby on Rails managed hosting designed to make your life easy. They migrate everything for you, and new signups or referrals come with a $100 discount or a referral fee. To sign up, go to freelancershow.com slash nerd. That's freelancershow.com slash N-I-R-D, and enter freelancer into the contact form for a discount. If you're someone who runs your own service-based business, then spending less time on pesky admin tasks means having more time to focus on your client's work, which is why you need to give FreshBooks a try. FreshBooks is the invoicing solution that makes it incredibly simple to create and send invoices, track your time, and manage your expenses. It allows you to quickly see and track the status of your invoices, expenses, and projects, and allows you to keep track of your expense receipts in FreshBooks. For your free 30-day trial, go to freshbooks.com slash freelancers and enter the Freelancer Show in the How Did You Hear About Us section when signing up. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 179 of the Freelancers Show. This week on our panel, we have Jonathan Stark. Hello. And Philip Morgan. Hey, hey. And I'm Reuven Lerner. And with us this week, we have a special guest, Stephen Bristol. Hello. Stephen, tell us about yourself. Why are you here? I'm here to talk about, you know, to be a part of the show and, and enjoy you guys and, and the whole thing, but um, to kind of promote uh, a new product we just launched called LessChurn.io, which is geared at helping uh, SaaS uh, app owners reduce their churn, uh, which is really great if you're a freelancer and you're trying to get your project off the ground. The last thing you want to start dealing with is churn. So let's start off with a basic question, which is, assuming you're not in the dairy industry, what is churn? So churn is that terrible moment when all of your uh, your hard work stops paying off when your customers leave your app. Um, so they sign up, they start paying, and then they quit. That's churn. And so it's usually talked about as a percentage. And there's also you know a dollar amount, obviously, associated with it. So that's what churn is. Okay, so this is really aimed at SaaS applications, right? Yeah, that's it's it's for subscription based applications. Yeah. Okay, where does this come from? Like, I know I, I know I know that you've been working on less accounting and so forth for years, but yeah, can you give us a little bit of the genesis of this? Absolutely. So yeah, so we we've had um, lessaccounting.com in production for um, over eight years now, and a couple of years ago we realized that uh, we were losing customers, oftentimes not because they they didn't like the app or they were ready to leave. Sometimes the they didn't have enough time in their trial to really try it out. Uh, sometimes uh, they just wanted a little bit of discount. Sometimes they they just wanted to pause their account and maybe start left start again at the new year or something like that. Sometimes they left just because they they didn't reach out to support. And so we did this thing where we replaced the delete your account button in less accounting with this series of of choices. We call them detours. You know, and it covers a, a wide gamut of things from applying coupons to extending trials, that sort of thing. 
and then um, about uh, a little less than a year ago, we thought, hey, this could really, you know, a lot of people could benefit from this. Uh, so we extracted it into its own application, um, and you basically, it's it's an iframe. You throw in your app, and you customize what your de- what detours you want, and then um, it's it's like a hundred percent effective. I mean, everyone who who signs up and puts into production reduces their churn. So it's it's kind of a, a nice product. Wow, that's pretty great. Yeah, it's pretty cool. We've got we actually offer a, a double your money back guarantee if you don't reduce churn because everybody reduces churn to to some extent. So how does like how does this work? Like I understand how it works in terms of te- technically and so forth and as a business, but are we as human beings so um like you know so I don't know uh, easily I don't I don't think fooled is the right reason, but so easily like I don't know I see I think I want to delete the account and I see someone saying no no don't do that. You can offer this other, you have this other thing instead. And I say, yeah, yeah, I'll stick with that. Yeah. So there's, there's two things going on there. The first is that the answer to your question is oftentimes yes, right? So, so if you did something like you replace the delete my account button with a, Hey, instead of deleting, would you stay for next, would you stay if we gave you a month for free? Uh, and then you apply, you know, a month coupon, then that in itself, there are lots of people that would just stay for, they would say yes. And then many of them, even if they didn't use the app, would stay for an extra several months and you'd garner some zombie revenue that way. And then, but the, the reality is that a lot of people are, are deleting and they're quitting apps, not because they're really completely, you know, ready to quit, but they're just kind of, they feel like they're out of options. And so that's the, really what we try and try to address. And so you can do things like downgrade your plan. We've got this nice, like obviously you can reach out to support, but a couple of tricks in there, like one, we, we have a detour. You can create a detour that says, uh, I'm really mad. I want to talk to one of the founders. And then basically, you know, we just send an email to your support team that says that they chose this. But psychologically, for people who have maybe tried to reach out to support, or even if they haven't, Talking to a founder is like, oh, that's a much bigger deal. And so, uh, so that might get them to stay then and you can resolve whatever issue they have. So it's, it's, there's things like that that you can do. We also have, uh, there's also ideas like if a lot of your customers are leaving because uh, of one thing, like maybe it's the top couple of reasons people leave of misunderstanding your app, then you could put in a couple of detours that say, hey, you know, did you experience this, right? Or, or did, you know, do you have a question about how to set this or that up? And then you can redirect them to the fact page that explains that. Um, and so it's kind of, in a sense, it's, it's a Hail Mary pass, right? It's like a last ditch effort to get them to stay. And it obviously doesn't work with everyone, but it's, it's fairly effective. Stephen, I've got some questions, if sure. I may ask some like, just super duper dummy questions <laughs> about the SaaS. So how big is the SaaS market? Like how many software as a services are out there? You know, how much money do they make? I, I want to try to help put this into context for listeners. I don't have the answers to those questions. I don't know if anyone does. I know that you know there are a ton of, of SaaS products out there. Uh, I mean, GitHub is a SaaS product. Basecamp is a SaaS product, and you know that surely they're they're making in the whole SaaS vertical. I, I would say you know there, there's you know tons of money, millions, millions, hundreds of millions, maybe billions of dollars every month, uh, mm-hmm. or certainly annually. I mean, there's just a lot. I mean, I think, you know, as freelancers uh, or as developers, you know, um, or business owners, we all use these SaaS products. You know, I know that we use um, we use 10.io, we use Drip, uh, we use um, GitHub. I mean, so so we spend money every month on SaaS products, and I'm sure sure most of the uh, the people listening do as well. Yeah, totally. What's like a kind of a benchmark standard churn rate where if your churn rate's above X, it's bad. If it's below X, it's, you know, better than industry average. 
Yeah, I, I think, I mean, it depends on, on what type of application you have, but for online SaaS product, because you have to think, like your telephone service, your your cell phone service is also a, a subscription service, right? And sure. it's not it's not a SaaS service, but so so different verticals are going to have different churn rates. Like in the tel- in the, the cell phone business, it's pretty high, like the monthly churn rate is, gosh, I don't, I don't want to, maybe it's something like like 17% a month or something, which is mm. extremely high. And it doesn't actually sound that high, but actually the, the interesting thing is when you, uh, the monthly churn rate is very different than the annual churn rate. So for example, if you had a, a monthly churn rate of about 5%, that equates to an annual churn rate of about 48%. So for for a year, you actually have to to replace 48, if your churn rate is averaging 5% monthly, you have to replace 48% of your customers every year just to stay even. Oh, wow. Yeah, so so you know the churn rates that people throw around tend to be the monthly churn rates, and and then it doesn't sound so bad until you realize what's actually happening on an on an annualized basis. Most SaaS products are are north of five percent, you know, probably in the in the five to nine percent range. I, I think a healthy because you know obviously it's 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 next to impossible to have a zero percent churn rate because uh, that means no one's leaving. If you're down. You know, probably one percent uh, monthly churn, uh, maybe as high as two. You're you're probably in really good shape. But mo- most people, most SaaS products, really aren't at that level. Mm, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of meta questions about having a SaaS in the first place. If that's if that's yeah fair game, let's talk so, about it. Yeah. So what's what's your background? Like, what were you doing? Were you a coder? What were you doing before you started uh, building SaaS products? Yeah, so I started uh, I started college in, as a music theory major, and uh, after dropping out, I started writing software. Uh, actually, I mean, I guess I kind of went back to starting to writing software. I wrote my first program uh, in Atari Basic when I was nine, um, and kind of in and out of programming ever since. Um, but when I dropped out of uh, college, I got really into it and started working professionally. And so I've been writing software, you know, for for most of my adult life. You know, I spent some time in the Silicon Valley. I'm from Los Angeles, but I, I spent some time up there. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in around 2000, um, and had, uh, got a lot of good learning experience. And then about 2007, in fact, January 2007, I had been doing consulting work for quite some time and I quit all that and started, uh, started less everything with, um, my partner, Alan Branch. And then we, you know, we had actually started working on less accounting. A few months before we started the company, and then we launched less account, less everything as a uh, web consulting, you know, making SaaS products for other people. While we use that money to bootstrap the development of less accounting, so I've been doing this for quite a while. So, do you think you know freelance audience, right? Do you think that the SaaS path is for obviously it's not for everyone, but do you think it's like you guys have been successful, but mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen like probably all of us, a lot of horror stories. Absolutely. Can you give advice about, you know, if, if people are considering doing a SaaS, because I know a lot of people are either freelancing and they think, why am I building this stuff for this, these clowns when I could be building it for myself and be making Mm -hmm. that sweet, sweet monthly recurring revenue. Yeah. Recurring revenue. Yeah. But it's at the same time, I think everybody I talk to thinks it's going to be a lot easier than it turns out being. They build something in like crickets. Absolutely. So do you have yeah, do you have advice for people who are thinking about taking the plunge from making that shift from working for other people to building their own thing? 
I, I would recommend anyone to, to do it. Uh, I think it's, it's a great experience. I think that being successful at it is a fairly different skill set than being really competent at doing freelance work where you're, you know, maybe you're doing design work or you're writing software uh, or even doing, you know, copywriting for someone else, right? When, when you have your own SaaS product, your own SaaS business, you know, the whole crux of that business, which is really the crux of any business, is how do you get m- new customers? Um, and so if you're a freelancer, um, maybe you're doing these, uh, I think it's, 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 it's pretty common to be doing, you know, several week, six to 12 week contracts, right? That's probably pretty common. And so you, you really only need your next customer every, you know, 12 weeks or so or whatever that, whatever it winds up being. Whereas when you're in, when you have a SaaS business, you know, you need 10 new customers every day. Right. Or, or, what, or whatever the threshold is. Right. I mean, obviously, that's going to be different for every business and that's going to change depending on where you are in business, how long you've been in business, that sort of thing. But it's that difficulty. Of where do you find customers is tough. And I can tell you, it's a lot tougher now than it was eight years ago uh, when we launched Less Accounting, which was about three months after Twitter launched, right, to give you a time frame, right? At that point, you know, we basically started tweeting out to our followers and then we started getting signups and paying customers and just grew from there. Um, whereas now, there's so many SaaS products out there that just getting, becoming visible is such a, uh, it's so much harder. It's a completely different, different landscape, which doesn't mean that, that, you know, uh, that someone shouldn't try it or shouldn't, shouldn't go for it. It, it just, you know, the reality is that it's really tough and it's a different set of priorities. And if, if, you know, it's, it's funny when, when Alan and I try and talk about how to build the business and this and that, we always come back to, well, design or code, right? Because that's what we, that's what we are, right? I'm a coder. He's a designer. But generally, most of the time, design and code isn't what gets new customers, right? And so, you, so it's a very different hat to wear. Sure. So the advice so far is, yes, I recommend that people try it, but what, and you know, and, and you have to realize that it's going to be a very different skill set. But where do they acquire those skills? You can't just be school of hard knocks because that's, are there resources that people can, you know, were there books that were pivotal for you? Not really. I don't, I don't really like business books, so I don't read a lot of them. Uh, you know, I, I know a lot of, a lot of people do, but to me, most of them, you know, really should just be like a nice long blog post instead of, you know, 150 pages or more. Uh, and so I find them really boring and really difficult to get through. And so when I read, I prefer, you know, reading literature or something like that. So surely there are great books out there. I couldn't recommend one offhand, unfortunately. Not, maybe I, not a book, but some kind of resource, you know, like, I don't know, this uh, Signal V Noise blogger. Like, is there pure people just like out on their own? They just have to learn the hard way. Yeah, I mean, I think, Earl, you know, uh, eight years ago, we read the 37 Signals blog a lot. And, you know, we wrote a lot of blog posts. So there's some, you know, if you go back to our to Less Everything blog, there's a bunch of stuff, uh, older stuff in there and, and newer stuff as well. But, you know, I, I think it's it's you make friends with people, right? Like like we, we're all kind of in this uh, community together and we all have friends or a friend of a friend. And, um, you know, generally, you know, I would say reach out and try and make, you know, like if you don't like, like let's say there's a product that you love you know, try and reach out to the, to the founder and see, see if you can get a phone call and get some inspiration, get some motivation, make some friendships, that sort of thing. And, and oftentimes I think what people, what people will find is that, you know, the, these, these people who might be great mentors are really just one or two steps away from them connection wise. And yeah. so, you, you know, if that's the case, then, then, you know, you can, you can ask your network to help you find, Hey, does anybody have a contact here? Does anyone have a contact there? And, and talk to people, uh, make friends, you know, um, going to conferences is pretty good. You know, Amy Hoy puts on the, uh, the, what is it, the 500 by, um, whatever it is conference every once in a while, right? 
and and I've not been, but Alan's gone and Alan's spoken, and and that's a nice small venue where uh, and and it's all business owners, so going there and making friends with people like that. You know, we used to put on uh, Less Conf, which was a similar but larger event. So at conferences certainly, but I think meeting people and asking questions and asking for advice is a great way to go. Yeah, I can kind of in bacon a, in biz. This that's space. right. That's what it is. Bacon biz. Conference, yeah. I think in this space, it does make sense that a book is probably going to be out of date by the time you see it anyway. So, I mean, things are changing so fast, like between 2006, 2007, and now. I mean, just look at, I mean, AWS, like the barrier to entry is practically zero. If you know, if you know Rails and have 50 bucks, yeah, pretty much over the weekend, you could have an MVP live. So it's, yeah, exactly. Or Heroku is, is even easier, right? Yeah, Heroku is even easier, right? Yeah, it'd be more than fifty bucks, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, it's a great example. Uh, you know, the the barrier entry is small, but when we used to do consulting work, um, we used to caution our clients. You know, before we started working for them or with them, and we used to to let them know that launching is really the starting line. It's not the finishing line, right? For us as developers, we think we're done when when we launch the code. Um, but from a business standpoint, that's that's the starting line. And so, you know, we used to we used to caution our customers that if if you're if you're spending all of your money on us, then you're out of business when you launch, right? Because you're out of business when you don't have any money left. It's things like that, you know. You can and and there there are tricks you can do, right? Like um, you can put up a um uh, like like a rocket launch page and and was it launch rock launch rocket? La- I think launch rock. launch rock is one of those, yeah. Yeah, uh, something like that, right? You start collecting email addresses and and gauge interest that way, and you can, that's also a good way to test your marketing skills, right? Can you get people to that page, and can you get them to, to give you your, your email? If you can't do that, how are you actually going to get them to your page and give you money, right? Um, again, it's a different skill set. And just because you're excited about a product doesn't mean that anyone else is going to be. And, um, yeah, you know, know so for sure. yeah. And so like, even with less churn, you know, we've been growing nicely and we've, we've got, um, on the less everything blog, we decided we're going to be like really open about less churn. And so I've got a couple of blog posts planned where we're talking about money and talking about our customers, how many customers we've, we've gotten recently and, you know, that sort of thing. So if people want to see what's really going on with a real uh, SaaS product, they can, uh, certainly follow along as we go, but it's tough. And and I've you know I've reached out to friends and you know hey, do you have some advice for me? And, and uh, can can you tweet this out? Can I get on your podcast? You know all that sort of stuff to just try and get get our names out there, get people to to be even aware of what we're doing. I want to break in here and just grab the microphone and go on a rant for a minute. Is that okay? Do it. I don't hear anybody <laughs> saying no. <laughs> I, I'm curious to hear what a Philip rant sounds like. So go for it. <laughs> There's going to be a question at the end of this rant for Stephen. But, but make uh, it nasty. Make no mistake, this is a rant. So if you go to leftchurn.io yeah. and you look at the, the menu bar across the top, you know, you see features, pricing, docs, right where you would expect to see a blog, you see some, something I'm a huge fan of, which I tend to refer to as like a content resource center or an education resource center. So it says Churn University, which yes. is awesome because, you know, if, if that was framed as a blog post, it would, I think, have less perceived value. And mm-hmm. no one is going to be fooled that this is a four-year degree, but I just <laughs> love how you called it, you know, Churn University. And if you click Churn University, what you see is uh, essentially a blog, but formatted very differently. So, A, I'm a huge fan of this. 
B, I think it's a much better approach than quote unquote blogging or sitting down and trying to write a blog post every week. And this is not just for SaaS companies. I think it also works very well for uh, freelancers, small shops, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So my question is, how's it working out? Uh, I love the concept. I love that you went with that approach. How is it actually working out from a content marketing perspective? All right, so so here's what's really funny is that we haven't actually launched this yet. By the time we, people are listening to the show, it will have been launched. The only reason it's live right now is so that people who don't have access to our source code can do editing on it. And so hopefully it will launch tomorrow. Launch as in, I mean, it's live now, so we launched it. But so, you know, hopefully tomorrow all the edits will be done and it'll be official. Uh, as far as how, how it's going for content marketing, it's too early for us to tell because it's brand new. The reason we did it is twofold. Number one, um, we want to become the place where people go to learn about churn, learn about how to reduce churn, that sort of thing, just from, uh, you know, Google Juice standpoint. But it's also, you know, makes, makes a nice content for outreach marketing, right? We can send this to people and rather than trying to sell them, hey, come check out less churn, we can say, hey, here's some really good information on churn universe. And so it gives us some some really nice content right right off the bat for for uh, outbound uh, marketing. You know, you know, you just put your finger on something so huge, which is rather than asking for a sale where there's no trust, you're having this intermediary thing of go check out these resources we put together for you, and uh, you know, then that leads to something that's not as immediate a sale, but probably uh, a, a much easier sale to make after that trust is built up. Absolutely. I mean, you know, when we look at our click rates and our open rates and that sort of thing, and, and, you know, we test, you can test this and you can see that when, when you're, when you're very salesy, it just comes across as spam. Cause generally when you're doing outbound, it's to people who, who haven't necessarily signed up on a list. Some of them have, some of them haven't. And so building that trust, giving them a reason to open your emails before you ask for the sale, I think is very, very beneficial. So you're doing outbound for a SaaS? That's, Oh, that feels a little unusual to me. I'm a fan of outbound, but usually more for custom consulting or like professional services. So can you kind of paint a picture of like, who would you target for outbound marketing for Churn University? Just like go to 37 Signals and say, hey, Basecamp. No. So I actually wrote some code to go out and collect email addresses. I called it less sniffer and we just use it internally. And basically, it's got some algorithms to, to start, you know, you give, it has a place to start and it goes out and, and collects people. So here's an example. So uh, I've got one algorithm that starts with product hunt. So it'll go through product hunt and from product hunt, you go to Google and you search angel list for that product. And so whatever the, the first result is, you assume that's the angel list address. And so now you've got angel list and now you hit the angel list API to get all the data from that. Then you can take that to other websites to collect the email addresses for the people that were listed on AngelList. And so now what you have is this, this large collection of people who are, um, who are potential, you know, customers for you. And so then you, you can go through that list and you can select, okay, I want to, I want to send, I want to add this guy to this list, this guy, you know, this other guy to another list and so on and start building an outbound list that way. I mean, it's free other than the development time. And there's lots of algorithms. There's lots of different ways you can do this sort of thing rather than just going out and buying a list. But yeah, we definitely do outbound on, um, on less churn or we've started to. I mean, it's, it's still relatively new. So I, I can't say that I've got a ton of, um, data on, on the, the success or, or the, the lack of success on our outbound efforts. Cool. That, that's great. So first of all, I just, I just want to 
uh, echo what, what Philip said about your Churn University, which is this is such a fantastic way of displaying information. I, I, I may steal this at some point because at the end of the day, right, it's the same content you would have in a blog, but it's presented so differently and so much more effectively. Um, I can totally see how this would get people. Yeah, and one of the nice things is that we didn't have to write it all. I and mean, we wrote most of it, but we certainly opened it up to some of our friends who have businesses and let them write articles in the university about different aspects. So, so for example, Richard from uh, bestunning.net wrote an article for us. And so now he's got some nice links going back to his site and that sort of thing. So I, I did, though, want to ask you about one other part of the site, or at least one other. Sure. So pricing. So I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys have had a chance to look at this. So I was like, oh, I wonder how much this costs. And name your own pricing. So I can't decide if this is incredibly brilliant or this is totally loony or, or possibly both at the same time. But I'm curious to hear how you came up with this and how it's working for you and how you don't have thousands of users all paying a buck a month. So yeah, it's, it's, I don't know if it's loony or not either. So, so basically they're, 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 we went through a lot of conversations of how do we price this thing? And you know, you can do a couple different things. You can price, uh, have one monthly fee for an unlimited use. Uh, and you can base that on the number of, since we do, you know, we, we integrate with your Stripe account or your Braintree account. So we know how many customers you have, right? How many active customers. So you can, you can do some sort of put it, you can automatically put them in a tier. Um, based on the number of active customers, which is like what uh, Richard Felix does at Be Stunning, or you can charge per save, right? So somebody comes and they delete their account. You know, the cu- our, our customer doesn't get charged. Someone doesn't delete their account. They take a different detour, and now you know we can charge them what a buck, two bucks. Maybe it's the, we can charge them a month's worth of the subscription. And so we kept going back and forth. And at initially, less churn was free. I mean, everyone knew pricing was coming, but we didn't know what to price. So so I got some feedback from our first customers, and the feedback was all over the place. And so then I had this thought that. Let's try if we do a name your own price. So you can name your own price in one of two ways. You can either do a fixed monthly uh, subscription price and or you can do a monthly per save price. And so what we found is that most people are doing some combination of both. We've got some customers that are doing a large monthly fee and no saves. We've got some customers that are doing a medium or small um, monthly and then you know a couple of bucks or more per save. So, so far it's working out really well. And the, the pricing I had envisioned initially, I think was, looks like it was too high based on what people are just, are paying on their own. But I'm surprised that some people are paying a lot more than I would have, than the tier they would have been in had I come up with the pricing. So it's really interesting. We don't have many people who are, who are just using it for free. Although obviously that's, that's an option. People can just set both prices to zero. Um, but we don't have too many people doing that. It's, it's, it's working out pretty well so far for us. All right, so it's now it's my turn to rant. Uh, this is more of a soapbox than a rant, uh, which is that I get this all the time. What you guys are doing is you're making yourself vulnerable, and you're you're basically crowd surfing. Right. You're throwing yourself onto the crowd and saying, "You know what? Don't drop me on the ground." And I think that people should do this a lot more. I find a lot of freelancers are they're decreasing the amount of trust that their customers would have in them by treating their customers. Uh, by trying to insulate themselves or protect themselves from their customers with contracts and terms and huge scope documents. And all of that stuff is the opposite of, that's a prenup. It's the opposite of creating a, a deep relationship with somebody. And f- for a freelancer, whether, you know, 
I, this is the, I think the first time I've ever seen a SaaS do it, which is amazing. But for a freelancer, it's an obvious move to just be like, look, I want you to trust me. And in order for that to happen, I have to trust you. So if that works, if you're picky about who you work with and you, you only work with people that you kind of clicked with over the phone or you, you like the way they email, you know, cause you know, there, you can learn a lot about somebody just by the way they email. Even if you're not meeting these people in person, you can get a sense of whether they're your type of people. Mm-hmm. And when you find those type of people, you trust them. And yes, that makes you vulnerable. And so many people just completely freak out by that. But I'm like, no, that's exactly what you need to do. Like, well, how do you protect yourself from them screwing you over? I'm like, you don't. You trust them and they'll trust you back. And if they don't trust you back, then they're not a good customer for you. So get rid of them. And so I, I'm standing up and applauding that you're taking this approach on a SaaS, which is just so cool. Thanks. Thank you. So, so you think that for freelancers and their customers, you think that they should have what they should, shouldn't use contracts or they should do a name your own price kind of thing with their customers or both? It's a long answer, but I am very anti-contract. It's never bitten me, knock on wood. I write an agreement. It's tops five pages, and it outlines the goals for the project, not the scope of the project. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I give them a fixed price for that outcome. So there's no time estimate. There's no hourly billing. There's none of that junk. But don't you find at the end of that, you know, phase or whatever that, that you have a big fight because what they expected doesn't match what you delivered? Only and, if I did and, a terrible and, job defining the outcome. But isn't that the point of scope documents to define that outcome? Like, I mean, no. I mean, we used to so so we used to do that with uh, with clients. Is is we'd have we created some sort of scope document to try and just get on the same page as to what it's going to be, right? What it's going to be when it's done. And then what we found was at the end of every project, there was a big fight because, you know, there was just a misunderstanding. Oh, when you when you used these words, I thought that meant this, but you thought it meant that. Well, but you don't. Uh, stuff at the beginning. So, so for example, if somebody comes to me, you know, I'm fairly well known for doing responsive web redesigns. So people mm-hmm. come to me and say, Hey, we heard you're the guy we want you to do. Uh, we want you to, to make some changes to our site to kind of bandage it. And then we'll do a rewrite later. And I'll say, all right, that sounds great. I'm sh- you know, I'm sure I can help you with that if we're a good fit. Um, but why do you want to do that? You know, why not just leave it the way it is? It's pr- it could be fine, right? Like, are you mm-hmm. actually seeing drop-off? Are you seeing abandoned carts on mobile? And they'll say, yeah, definitely. I'll say, okay, well, are, do you have any competitors that are, you feel like they're eating your lunch at this? Or is this, you know, can we wait and do this in six months after we study it a little bit or after you study it a little more? And they'll say, no, 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 these guys, this, our main competitor just launched a mobile site. We are imagining that it's doing really well. They're getting a lot of link backs. And we really feel like it's urgent to do it right now. And I'll say, okay. Uh, you know, and you just go on this path of not talking about what I'm going to do. We talk about what they want to achieve because nobody's right, hiring that, but, you to build a feature. But that's a lot. I mean, I guess I'm talking about when you're you're starting like with greenfield development, right? And and so like the vision of what it will be is a lot more open to interpretation, right? Yeah, when that's you, a lot gonna, Yeah, but I, so I don't do that. Like those are bad customers for me because like a startup oh, for me is not doesn't work because they don't there it's it's like the value to them is somewhere between zero and infinity mm-hmm. so there's absolutely no you know i'll work with a bootstrap startup who already has like a cash flow and mm-hmm. they've got some kind of data but i won't work with someone who has no data i see i see that makes sense for me that the the advice would be very different for you know greenfield development 
I think that's a really, I mean, we're totally off track, but I think greenfield development is a very, very low value. It's not a great way to make a living as a developer. Mm-hmm. Unless you're building your own. Right. I, I'm curious, do you, it seems to me that you've found a problem, you know, as, as Jonathan says, you know, calls this site their expensive problem. You found a problem that is costing people a ton of money. It seems to me that this could easily dwarf less accounting over time. That's what we're hoping, right? I mean, obviously, I mean, the interesting thing, so so we've been in production now for, for a few months. And so I'm looking at the homepage of Less Churn, where we keep the statistics. And so, so far, Less Churn has saved over 11,000 users for our customers and over almost $3.5 million of revenue for our customers that they've retained, that they didn't lose. They would have lost if they just had to delete my account button. That's wild. So, What's the time just so... Yeah, like five months. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's, I mean, I'm surprised as well. And it's, you know, so clearly it's something that's, that works and is significant. How, how many sites is this across? Uh, so right now, I think we have about 40 customers. That's a lot of users. Wow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So some of my, some of our customers are rather big, right? Uh, so obviously, you know, the bigger you are, the more, um, the more people you're going to have floating through your delete my account page just because you know you got more people but it's a significant savings and all you have to do is throw the thing you know throw this iframe in your app and you're pretty much good to go um takes about an hour in total to get set up and it works steven i'm curious if there's a sort of uh psychology of churn that might be transferable to a services business uh, i mean the reason i ask is uh I've just seen this in my own uh, previous parts of my career and other people's where over time, uh, maybe you have a long-term relationship with a client and then just kind of over time, things kind of cool off or a project maybe loses momentum and then it it ends less well than you might want it to. And I'm just kind of wondering if there's something that you've seen in, in the kind of psychology of churn that might relate to that situation with a freelancer. You know, it's interesting. I think, I think the psychology is actually pretty much identical, right? So the, the difference is that in a SaaS app, you kind of have to try and automate all that stuff. Whereas when you have clients, you're actually managing that relationship yourself. But, and, and we talk about this in Churn University, you know, some of the reasons why people churn and, and it's, you know, it, it's, it's all kinds of things, um, including things like, well, they just kind of like, like you're saying, it, the project cools down, right? And so in the SaaS world, that would equate to, well, people just aren't coming back and using it like they used to, right? So you have a customer who used it maybe for a month and then just, just kind of stopped using it. And so they paid for an extra couple months and they finally quit. And so in the SaaS world, you would try to keep them coming back, try to keep them engaged. Um, and there's lots of tricks you can do to do that. Whereas in the, in the freelancer or services world, you'd really be managing that relationship and, and reaching out more and having more conversations and that sort of thing. So the psychology, I think, is, is very much the same in, in both domains. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, what's zombie revenue? That sounds awesome and interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if that term exists anywhere other than uh, at less everything. Um, I've, I've not heard any other people use it, I think, but we use it to describe customers who aren't using the app anymore, but they're still paying for it. Gotcha. There's somebody that signs up, they put in their credit card, they pay, for, they use it for a month or two, and then they just forget or they get busy uh, and they just never quite get back to it. And I think we can, we all have, you know, I mean, it's like your gym membership, right? I mean, that, that's how gyms stay in business is, is by with zombie revenue, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've provided some zombie revenue to some gyms. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
been meaning to cancel that thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, everyone pause the podcast right now. Go cancel your gym membership. <laughs> well, there's a, uh, a next uh, possible client uh, segment for you, right, on uh, Less Churn. Yeah, I mean, you know, most gyms do that by by saying you can only cancel if you come in. So then they have a real opportunity to talk to you in person, try and talk you out of it. Oh, that's genius. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly why I haven't canceled. Yeah. They're like, oh, we know these people aren't coming in. That's why they're paying us. <laughs> right, <laughs> they, right. They'd probably get a lot Exactly, exactly. Well, for, the, for those who do use contracts, that would be an interesting clause on your services contract. You can't cancel the project unless you show up at my office to do so. <laughs> you know, and a lot of clients don't read that stuff. Like, people will sign that, right? No, I'm, I'm not sure you'd win in that. court, but, um, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure it's a winnable clause. Um, but. So, I mean, I was saying, like, Le- Lester clearly seems to be very good at stopping people from leaving, but, you know, through the sort of delete my account button. But what are other things that people can do before someone reaches the delete button or tries to leave the SaaS app? Are there other techniques you can use to um, encourage them to use it or to speak up? Yeah, there's there's all kinds of things you can do. I mean, the, the, the first thing is, and, and lots of this is covered in Churn University, so go go read all that stuff for, for more details. But most apps nowadays are difficult to use, not because they're so complex, but because they're trying to solve a problem in a, in a unique way, right? And so if you come to an app, um, you have to really understand the way to use that app before you can be effective at it. And so what winds up happening is a lot of people, so, so there's, this, there's this concept called onboarding, which is when you take somebody who's new and you get them, you know, and that's the time between when they sign up and when they're, you know, a successful, confident customer of your, of your app. And so there's all kinds of things you can do. And you guys have all seen this. You've got your little setup wizard at the beginning. You've got the JavaScript overlays, which points at a couple of things around the screen and tries to explain what they all do. You know, a bunch of iPhone apps have this, have, have this stuff as well. So uh, customer onboarding is, is super important, especially if your app is complicated, if there's a lot of stuff going on, uh, or if it just tries to solve a problem in a unique way. And then once once they're in the app, you still need to keep them coming back. And so, you know, having some sort of at least weekly email that goes out and um, like kind of gives them an update of what's been going on is a good way to to kind of remind people that, oh, yeah, I did sign up for that thing and get them to come back and use the app. You can also use products like uh, Customer.io or Intercom, which kind of log how many people have done this or that. And then based on those thresholds, you can send particular emails. So for example, you know, if somebody's signed up, but they haven't uploaded, you know, in less accounting, for example, they haven't uploaded a logo, you know, within two weeks, well, we know they're not sending any invoices, right? And so, so we could use that as a trigger to say, hey, come back in and upload your logo uh, or come back in. You know, we can also check to see how many invoices you've sent in the last 30 days, that sort of thing. And so you can send emails based on that. There's all kinds of little things you can do in, in that regard to get people kind of back in and using your application. And do you find that people, I mean, obviously this is working in terms of stopping churn, but people don't get upset like, look, all I want to do is delete my account. And now you're, you're clearly giving me a sales pitch. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we've been using this in less accounting for two years, right? You know, first first by hard coding it, and then by you know putting putting less churn in it. Um, and certainly, some people are not happy with that. Ultimately, you know, what am I really risking, right? If somebody's determined to to delete their account, they're probably not coming back anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, are they going to tweet out? Oh, you know, less accounting sucks. They made me go through this whole thing at the end. Um, no one's ever tweeted that. So, you know, I, I think the risk of, of upsetting a customer, you know, who's not really a customer 
at that point is relatively uh, small, especially compared to the upside of, of the churn that you can reduce. We're actually planning a feature which which will make it even harder to quit because you know one of the things we do is is as people are leaving, if they quit, you have the option to collect feedback, and, and that's a mandatory field, um, and people don't like that either, uh, or some people don't like that either. Although we we find that we get a lot of really interesting and and useful and thoughtful comments on that form, so lots of people do seem to like it as well. So it's not just people getting angry because it's there, but we're going to be adding this feature which will allow people to actually do proper exit surveys and ask a series of detailed questions instead of just one feedback field. And we'll see how that goes. You know, some for some people it'll work out really well, and for some people it won't. And I think part of that depends on on what your product does and you know who your customer is, right? If you have a product that's geared towards SaaS owners, they're probably going to be more likely to want to give you better feedback because they know what it's like. Mm-hmm. Versus, you know, a product for, I don't know, 13 year olds or something. And, you know, in the world of services, some of, uh, at least in my own experience, some of the most insightful and valuable conversations I've had with clients are after they're just after they're no longer clients. Because it seems like that's when, if things went okay, but not great, that's maybe when it's okay to, to really tell you the real deal. I, I see that happening with services as well. Yeah, I, I totally agree. In fact, um, Ruben from BidSketch has a really great blog post with a link. Uh, in Churn, we have the link in Churn University uh, where he describes what's the right way to do those type of, of interviews after they've already left the product to get really good feedback. So I suggest checking that out if you want some, some ideas of how to do that. Stephen, anything we, we should have asked that we didn't? Anything, gems that people should know that you wish you could broadcast to the world because now you can? No, I just, I, you know, thanks, thanks so much for having me on for the time. Um, you know, hopefully, um, we've had a nice conversation. People have enjoyed it and hopefully people will check out lesschurn.io and, and find it useful and hopefully, you know, make more money by using it. Excellent. Uh, let's go to our picks. Uh, Philip, you got any picks for us this week? I do have a pick. I want to recommend a book. It's called Why Johnny Can't Brand Rediscovering the Lost Art of the Big Idea. <laughs> Uh, by Bill Schley and Carl Nicholas Jr. Terrible title, I think. And there's parts of the book that are a little kind of weird and um, they use some kind of weird uh, framing devices throughout the book. But the information is solid gold. It, it sort of builds on the idea that if you want to build a brand for yourself, for your business, and um, I'm not a branding expert by any means, but I'm a positioning expert. <laughs> and what they say re- reinforces what I know, which is that you have to pick one thing that you're going to build your brand around, one sort of outstanding attribute. And it's so hard for people to do. What I like about this book is, A, that it speaks the truth, I think, about how people relate to brands. And then, B, gives some very practical exercises that you can go through to kind of boil down to that singular point and uh so it's good stuff it's available on kindle and uh that's my recommendation for this week excellent jonathan any picks uh yes i got a free batch of something called moo business cards plus probably everybody's heard of moo they make business cards and other sorts of stationary stuff and i got this batch of of sort of a beta tester because i'm a mobile guy for these cards that uh, have an NFC chip in them. And when you put them on a phone that has NFC, so if you touch the card to the phone, it will launch a URL in the browser. So like I have it go straight to my 
my page that has my, um, what are they called, V-card downloads and all that stuff. It's, so it's kind of cool. I thought they were kind of snazzy and people always get a laugh out of it. But uh, I went through the cards. I've been speaking at a fair number of conferences in the fall and I went through all my cards. And so, you know, I had this free batch and I went back and I'm like, oh, well, maybe I'll order more of those. They were pretty good. And I was just so blown away by how smooth the reorder process was, how quickly they got there. I thought the quality was really high. The prices were seemed reasonable to me for a card that did something like that. And uh, I, I was just really impressed with them all the way around. So, you know, if people are doing in real life things like conferences or meetups or what have you, then I think it, it's good to have business cards. And it's I would definitely recommend people uh, try Moo, Moo.com. Cool. I must say, I think I last printed business cards about a year or two ago. And I had to print up, I think it was either 250 or 500 of them to like have the printed batch. And I still have three quarters of them. But if I had this sort of thing, boy, I'd be like pushing them on people as fast as possible because it just sounds super, super cool. Yeah, you can get really small batches, and it's not ridiculously expensive. That sounds awesome. <laughs> and on their site, they have the uh, the sample card is from Martin McFly, space-time continuum researcher. So some of there's a good sense of humor. Stephen, do you have any picks for us? All right, so, so I've got four for you. So the first is another app called Tend.io, which is written by a buddy of mine called Ryan Evans. Uh, he's in Chicago. And what Tend does is it tr- finally tells you whether your marketing campaigns have been cost effective or not. And so it's really cool. You drop it into your site. It tracks people. Uh, so for example, Reuven, I got a, just before we started the podcast, I got an email from Tend saying that you had come to the less, uh, less churn.io site. Maybe, maybe. Oh no, I know, I know what happened because <laughs> yes. 10 knows who you are. And so, uh, I, I think, um, everyone should check that out. It's really, really cool. My second pick is a book by Sam Harris called Free Will. It's been around for a couple of years now, but it's, it's basically, um, Sam Harris is a, um, uh, I think was he a neurologist or a brain surgeon or something. And anyways, he's talking about, you know, the research of the last few years that basically proves that we as human beings have no free will. So um, it's, it's a fun read, not too long, not too difficult. So I, I recommend that to everyone out there. My third pick for uh, any uh, musicians out there, uh, the new version of Logic Pro X comes with a synthesizer plugin, Alchemy, which is really, really awesome. So if anyone's um, thinking about trying it out or, or using Logic Pro, make sure you check out the new Alchemy. It's really, really cool. And then my last pick is a gem that we wrote called Less Interactions. You can find it on, um, you know, Ruby Gems and wherever, uh, GitHub and all, all the places. And it's basically a gem that helps you, um, put together, uh, a, a middle layer, like a business layer for all your business logic so you can keep them out of your model. So you can keep the business logic out of your models, out of your views, out of your controllers, out of your helpers, all that sort of thing. So those are the four. Excellent. And I've got to pick two for this week. So a number of months ago, I had a phone that was really acting up and taking a long time to bring up my contacts. I have an Android phone. And so uh, a friend of mine suggested that I look around for an alternative contacts manager. And it never even occurred to me that this was possible, even though obviously I do this on my computer all the time. So I found a contacts plus. And while uh, I've moved on to a phone that actually does work and does work better, um, I've increasingly like Contacts Plus because it has this sort of, I don't know, in the cloud, crowdsourced caller ID thing. So if someone calls me and they're not in my phone book or my contacts list, it will still, after about two seconds or so using the network, tell me who it is who's calling. And the best part of it is if you've got, um, I don't know, telemarketers or just general spam callers calling you, it'll say, this was marked as spam by X number of people. 
and then you can block it forever. So in, in, in Israel, we have this terrible problem of getting lots and lots of Russian language telemarketing calls. And so you pick up the phone and say hello, and they start speaking to you in Russian. And you say, I'm sorry, don't speak Russian. And they say, oh, I'm sorry. That was a mistake. Wrong number. But <laughs> this is clearly like just a, a either brilliant or terrible marketing campaign. And uh, Context Plus has saved me many hours of talking to mistaken callers in Russian. Not that I speak Russian. Anyway. That does sound awesome. It's really, it's like surprisingly simple and effective and a great feeling when I don't have to answer their calls. Stephen, thank you so, so much for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll be back next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.